the Tennessee on Supply Chain Management podcast. Listen in as co-hosts Ted Stank and Tom Goldsby take a leap onto the ships of supply chain, crowd surf into the long lines of meeting holiday demand, and wade into the depths of warehouse inventory buildup. They'll cover all the relevant and current topics blocking the canal of your minds and discuss industry issues that keep you up at night. If you enjoyed the show, download and subscribe to Tennessee on Supply Chain Management, wherever you listen to podcasts. Without further ado, let's begin our show, where you'll hear what you'd least expect from the people you want to hear it from the most. Our co-hosts, Ted and Tom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, our very first episode of the Tennessee on Supply Chain Management podcast. I'm Ted Stank, one of your co-hosts. I'm here with my great friend and colleague of many years, Tom Goldsby. Tom, want to say hey? Hey, Ted. Hey, everyone. So what Tom and I are going to do with the premise of this podcast is we're going to try to cover all the timely issues that are happening in supply chain on a regular basis. And we're going to try to cover it not in a boring professor in a classroom way, but rather if you were to travel to Knoxville, Tennessee and come to Tom and my favorite watering hole and we're out one night having our favorite adult beverages, we're going to talk about these topics that way. Tom and I see eye to eye on a lot of things, but not everything. Hopefully that comes out and we make this a lively back and forth. We're also going to welcome your input. You can reach us at any time with topics and comments at gsci at utk.edu. And we'll provide that address to you a couple times during these podcasts. So let's get on to the topics of today. You don't have to go very far in the media today to try to get into some of the big topic areas that everybody's talking about. So today, Tom and I are going to talk about what's happening with the West Coast port snarl and what are some ways around it. Will Santa deliver this holiday season? When should we be putting our orders in for Christmas presents and holiday presents? What kind of influence on prices will all this issue have? And what kinds of alternatives do we have? A lot of people are talking about new global supplier network designs. We're going to bring in our good friend and colleague, Wendy Tate, later on to talk about that topic. So without further ado, let's get into our first topic. Tom, take it away. Let's start off with that first item, the West Coast port snarl. So much focus has been directed on what's going on at those U.S. West Coast ports, namely L.A. and Long Beach, that process 40% of the container volume into this country each year. So it's understandable why if we're having problems out there, it's going to cause problems throughout the whole system. But, you know, even the White House has taken interest in what's going on. There have been a lot of briefings and initiatives there, and I think President Biden called in some senior business executives from the supply chain world to say, hey, how can we get things moving a little bit faster? And now we have the 24-7 operations going on at L.A. and Long Beach. And I guess the question is, that is that really going to take care of the problem? Even calling in the National Guard is something that's been entertained as a way to to try to alleviate the strain. It's not met just a function of getting those containers off the ship, but getting them moved inland to the Inland Empire and start moving by rail and truck. I think a lot of focus on what's going on and uh, not a lot of easy answers. Ted, what's your read on the situation? Yeah, um, all the above, Tom. You know, my take is that this has been a problem that has been years, maybe decades in the making. I've been in this business for 30 years now, somewhere at least 20 years ago. I dawned on me that we were talking about driver retention issues, infrastructural issues, all kinds of things that we have been squawking about for the last 10 years at least saying, hey, we have an issue here. But 
not a lot of people paid attention as long as we could get those boxes moving and get product onto store shelves and get them to our front doors. Everything's fine. And I think the crazy supply and de- demand uncertainties and variabilities that we saw with the pandemic has just exposed all of the, the challenges that we're seeing right now. Yeah, it seems like we've been able to flex a little bit. I don't know whether it's plus or minus 5%, but the stresses on the system have far exceeded that capacity. And you're right. We've been talking about these things for a long, long time. In fact, we had a driver shortage in the depths of the recession. If you go back a dozen years ago, every major trucking company in the country was looking to recruit. And of course, we know that there's always been about 100% turnover as well in that industry. So it's been really hard to recruit drivers in. It seemed like it was a romantic notion in the post-Vietnam era that people were drawn to the highways and byways and that independent lifestyle. But, you know, generations X, Y, and Z, not so drawn to uh, working in our warehouses as well as driving trucks, it seems. Yeah. You know, you talked about in the depths of the Great Recession. I think we can track a lot of these issues back to there. I am guilty of criticizing the ocean carrier industry for not doing a good job of matching supply to demand back in those days. And if you remember, shipping prices plummeted because of the huge excess capacity we had and the shipping companies lost billions and billions and billions of dollars, resulting in a lot of consolidation over the last 10 years. And now, or let's say in 2019, they had capacity pretty well tuned to global demand. And then boom, we hit the pandemic Demand fell off the edge of the cliff. We put in all kinds of stimulus packages at various industrial industrial economies around the world. And then all of a sudden, we came out of shutdown and demand came back with a vengeance, chasing not a lot of capacity. And so now we're seeing shipping prices that have quadrupled and quintupled. And you don't bring on shipping capacity of big ocean carriers or driver issues that have been a crisis for decades or chassis issues. You don't bring that stuff on overnight to be able to match demand. So I think a big problem that we're having is that supply chain capacity comes online with long lead times, but demand is just changing on a weekly basis. You're absolutely right. It's like these two wheels are spinning at such different paces, right? As you talk about matters like bringing trucking capacity, rail capacity, as well as that shipping capacity online. That's a slow turning big wheel. And then meanwhile, the consumer wheel is just racing out of control. And I'm glad that you pointed out the demand picture and and COVID because you saw a lot of companies that were facing nosediving sales at the early outset of the pandemic. And then those V rebounds, uh, record sales in so many settings. And And now, in fact, they would continue to be setting record sales if they only had supply, it seems, as those earning reports are coming out and people are pretty routinely either number one or number two is supply chain glitches in terms of constraining their ability to grow. But demand is frankly off the charts, right? I mean, uh, we're spending money very differently today than we might otherwise. Uh, I know you would be out traveling the world as I would, and uh, we're keeping it pretty close to home and we want our stuff. We want new stuff uh, that's feeding the beast. Although latest numbers came out that show that GDP only grew at 2% this last quarter. So I think we're starting to see some of the influences of this lack of inventory. You know, Tom, you and I wrote this Wall Street Journal article with Lance Saunders and several of our colleagues here at Tennessee back in, I think that was June. That was June, And we were tracking the inventory to sales ratio then hitting a record low of 1.3. I just read that our, I think, September number was 1.1 inventory to sales ratio. So we've just kept going down over the summer. 
you're right. It just kept going down. And we're now, I think, under 1.1, which means for those of you that aren't familiar with the inventory to sales ratio, anything above one indicates how much additional inventory you have on hand than what you're selling. Now, what that doesn't capture is whether you've got the right inventory on hand. So companies usually like to be in that 1.3 to 1.35 range to make sure that they can have on hand what you're looking for, which I think really takes us into our second topic today, which is whether or not Santa's going to deliver this holiday season. Awful lot of fear of that. People are stepping up their holiday shopping. What's going to happen by the time we get to Black Friday and Cyber Monday? It thinks like the holiday season is going to be pretty much over from a sales situation. What do you think? Yeah, you know, there was an old saying during World War II. I think it was uh, maybe a Winston Churchill saying of keep calm and carry on. I think for consumers today, we need to keep calm and carry on. In fact, we all need to hearken back to some earlier time. I'm an old dude, Tom. You all can't see me, but those of you who know me, got this white beard, right? Trust me, he's old. <laughs> when I was a kid, my mother would go Christmas shopping in the summertime and put stuff on layaway. And that was partly because of financial stuff, but also because things weren't available with the, Tom, you always call it the, the diabolic consumer, that we expect a full choice of all kinds of product selection, and we expect it everywhere we want to look, and we expect to get it now. Well, I think we're in a time right now, given these supply chain constraints, that particularly for this holiday season, we need to readjust our expectations that we can get stuff, but we're not going to get it instantaneously, and maybe we're not going to have the product selections that we expect. Wait, are you suggesting that the American consumer not be diabolical, that we look for substitutes, that we let up on our expectations in some way? Hey, I'm a diabolical consumer myself, right? I mean, we've all become accustomed to that. But yeah, I think this holiday season, given the enhanced understanding of what's going on in the supply chain, we need to dial back our expectations a bit. The other thing I was going to say is don't expect to be shopping up for deals this holiday season. Yeah, those are not going to be had, are they? It gets into our next topic about inflation, right? There's, there's not going to be a lot of deals out there. Well, so just to kind of wrap up on that topic, you think that Santa is just going to have to be a little bit more deliberate in his efforts this year, maybe step up the shopping a little bit earlier to find the stuff and maybe be willing to uh, to flex a little bit, too. Maybe if you don't find that item you're looking for, maybe you have to go to option a, B or C or, or have to wait a little bit to get it. Some rain checks yep. being issued maybe this holiday season. Absolutely. You know, I tend to be uh, sometimes a last-minute shopper. And for those of us who are last-minute shoppers, we might be out of luck this holiday season. So don't do it. Don't wait, folks. Get out there and get it now. So get your flu shot, get your booster shot, and go Christmas shopping soon. <laughs> you know, we teach that principle postponement, but that's not going to really apply very well to the American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to dial back our postponement. Dial that one back. Well, hey, something that you mentioned in response to that last question is it seems like everything is costing more. You're saying that the American consumer probably can't expect any discounts this holiday shopping season. I agree with that. And I, I've heard retailers themselves kind of suggest that, hey, we're pro providing some product. Yeah, don't be too choosy or too demanding. Just buy it full price and be on your way. But it seems like every input is costing more. It also seems like labor is costing more. Fuel is costing more. What are some of your thoughts, Ted, in terms of, you know, is the American consumer going to expect to pay for that? Is it temporary? Is it sustained? What are your thoughts around inflation? Dude, have you been shopping lately? Yeah. <laughs> it is. 
It yeah. is. I mean, I, I have that long drive from North Carolina to Tennessee every couple of weeks. And, you know, I mean, my most recent trip was $3.26 average in what I was paying for gas. A lot higher than it was a month ago, way higher than it was six months ago. I think we're seeing in consumer products something like 5.5% inflation over the last couple of months. So, heck yeah. Just read that our good old friends at the ports of LA and Long Beach are going to start penalizing trucking companies if they delay their picking up their freight on the port. And the trucking companies have all said, great, do that. We're going to pass it on to our shipper customers, which means eventually we're all going to see it coming out of our pockets. Now, I mentioned earlier, GDP slowed to 2%. I think that's a reflection of what we're seeing in inflation. And maybe, I hate to say this, as long as it doesn't become permanent, but maybe inflation will ride to the rescue and slow down demand so the supply chain can catch up. Maybe. Yeah, well, 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 something I've come to appreciate over the course of this pandemic is never to lose confidence in the American consumer and the desire to buy stuff. <laughs> and so I think uh, you're, you're right that the dollar may not go quite as far, but I continue to believe in the American consumer. And I think we're going to have to be maybe a little bit more selective in how we uh, allocate our funds. So that might play out in different ways. I think there's that notion of demand elasticity that uh, the economists have been talking about all these years, it might come into play that we're seeking for the, the best place to direct our very dollar. But I, I agree. I, I think that inflation is, is here and it's here to stay and uh, for a while anyway. And, and we can probably call upon some economist friends that will be beckoning to the show in, in later podcasts to provide a more informed position. But I just don't know how you can get away from that final variable that is price. When you've got so much demand, chasing limited supply. Uh, I'm an econ undergrad. I learned it in econ 101 that price has to be that final variable. And so I see it going up and the American consumer ultimately going to have shouldering some of that burden. Yeah. Well, Ted, it occurs to me that while you and I can hee and haw about this, there's someone that resides on our very own floor back at the Stokely Management Center that might be able to shed a little more informed, educated light on these matters. Yeah, Tom, our great colleague and friend, Wendy Tate, is a world-class expert on the whole issue of outsourcing and supplier location. Wendy, we've been hearing a lot about all these disruptions might cause companies to really reconsider where their supply base is. What are you hearing about that? Yeah, so I get calls every day, probably most like you do, asking about where is the next best location for our suppliers and our manufacturing base? And, you know, we've been talking up and down the hallways, of course, how we got into the, the situation that we're in and talking about the ever pursuit of low cost country sourcing. And so we went and as procurement people went over and said, gee, this is a low cost country. I'm going to pay my low price and I'm going to then increase the volumes with that particular supplier because that'll get me even a lower price. So we eliminated a lot of our backup stock and lengthened the supply lines. But the problem is everyone talks about this idea of sort of regionalized buying or, you know, bring jobs back home, or moving stuff back to the U.S. and or Mexico and Canada. But we still have the issue of whether or not we're getting our best price because every procurement person, the top of their scorecard is, purchase price variance, and also cost reduction. So, you know, we're, we have to make these decisions that are good for the organization as well as good for the people within the organization. So we need to start thinking about 
how we can measure that. But the pendulum shift is coming up again, where we centralized all of our procurement, and now we're looking to decentralize all of our procurement and spread that buys and the manufacturing out into different closer locations to better service our factories. So yeah, change is coming. Yeah. Well, you know, Wendy, we give each other a hard time all the time about with you procurement people, with buyers. It's all about the unit cost, right? (laughs) Um, Will this change? Will this kind of focus on all the disruptions we've had? And you mentioned length of time to respond to market and everything. Do you think we'll see changes in how those decisions are made? Well, Ted, I hope to see changes because I hope and what we're teaching at the university anyway is that our changes should come. We should not take this price-focused perspective or low-cost country sourcing. And we really should take a very methodical and total cost perspective of where we're going to buy our goods and services. And we really need to sit there and take a look at what's the total cost of doing business with this supplier in this location. And for those of you that don't think about total cost, total cost really takes the ultimate price that the supplier is charging us and says, okay, what are on top of that price, what are all the additional costs that go into buying that item? And and we can see if you are starting to say, well, what's the total cost from China? It's going to have a lot more line items, cost elements, compared to if you're buying something from a plant located 20 miles down the street. So we have to do that trade-off of the total cost versus the trade-off of what's the lowest potential price. And, you know, it's a tough decision because all those cost elements don't sit on the procurement scorecard. So sometimes we make the wrong decisions because of those performance metrics. It always starts with metrics, doesn't it? We do what we're measured to do. We do what we're measured to do. And I think it's also really interesting, these total cost models that the more advanced companies that use these total cost models are actually starting to incorporate more criteria in those models and things like the carbon footprint. So if we're buying from China versus the United States, the carbon footprint of that product is significantly higher. And if that can make us make a different decision, then we should add kind of those carbon metrics into our scorecard. But it's just going to take some mindset changes at the executive levels to determine what's the right way to buy and where's the right location to buy. So Wendy, uh, I have had a chance to take a look at your course syllabi and your textbooks and maybe eavesdrop on some of your teaching. And you talk about total landed costs. You also talk about total costs of ownership. Can you kind of help us to distinguish between those two? And, and how do you think those kind of higher order forms of thinking might change some of the conventional mindset we've got out there around low-cost country sourcing and global supply chains? So, Tom, that's actually an interesting question. And I was just teaching this to my students the other day. So when we talk landed costs, this is even over and above the, the price, but even calculating a landed cost and trying to figure out what's the best place for me to buy based on all of these cost elements and all these different sort of what if things change scenarios. And in today's world, can you imagine what if our transportation costs happen to go up, you know, 30, 40%, that's going to change our location decision significantly of where we're going to buy. So, so landed cost takes the, the price that we pay all those different cost elements and it's the cost to get it from, the supplier over to wherever you're getting it delivered. 
Whereas if you think through total costs, the big difference with total costs is it takes in the value of money. So it looks over a period of time and looks at the net present value of the buy over a period of time, knowing your demand and such or your expected buys. And that'll change your decision sometimes, especially if you're expecting price increases or quantity increases or something. So that changes the mindset. And again, more and more companies are looking at going even beyond that and looking at this life cycle cost to try to understand what's the life cycle cost of my products from the time you buy it from the suppliers to the time the consumers are done using it. Again, back to the carbon, they're actually using those life cycle models to try to understand where the most carbon is occurring because we've got our scope three emissions coming on. So where is carbon occurring? And, you know, a lot of carbon occurs at customer use. So we have to start thinking about how we can either change customer behavior or change how our products feed that customer behavior. So there's kind of the three different levels, the landed cost, the total cost, which takes in the net present value of money, and then life cycle costing, which encompasses the entire life cycle. Well, like you say, a much broader view of what we're measuring, what we're held accountable for. But fortunately, it also seems like the tools are finally becoming available to us to be able to be properly informed in a pretty timely manner to make more informed business decisions. Would you say that's that's fairly accurate? Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And interesting, I was in a conference call or webinar or something, and and the conversation was about this life cycle costing. And the company was talking about how they had to change their products because they knew this was really focused on water usage, but they needed to change their products because they knew when it got in the customer's hands, there was a whole lot of waste water. So they were trying to make a change in the design and innovation of their products so that the consumer could actually use less water, which overall was was a really good thing. And it's really an interesting story. But I asked them about what tools they use to do all these measures and lifecycle. They say, oh, it's just, it's just something that's off the shelf. You can actually go get it and it's very easy to use, time consuming, but you know, it's something that is readily available. So there's good news. This is fascinating. You know, Wendy, one day we're going to have to have you back for an entire episode so that you can get us really jazzed on all the new decision frameworks that are going on in procurement. I know I always see your MBA students coming out of that class and they're always jazzed up. They're always jazzed up. Well, thanks again, Wendy. We really appreciate you joining us. Tom, it was great to have Wendy with us. She has so much knowledge about the procurement space. We're about done with our time now. Let's go to the big wrap-up. Yeah, so let's just take a look back. We tried to cover a lot of ground here in this short podcast. And whether you agreed with us or not, hopefully you were intrigued with what we had to offer in the way of what was going on at the West Coast ports. And that's going to continue to be a lingering issue, I think, we believe, as well as perhaps impacting holiday shopping and ultimately the prices we pay every day for products and services that we're using, consuming, and experiencing. So we're going to try to provide these freshly timely uh, inputs on everything under the sun as it relates to the supply chain. Hey, Tom, I'm looking through my show notes. We have one big omission, and I'm going to put you on the spot. 
when's all this going to end? When's this disruption going to end and we it, get back to normal? It's going to end on April 28, 2022. All the world's going to go back to normal and everything's going to be just fine. <laughs> They're going to stop thinking about supply chains. We're going to stop getting media requests of April 28, 2022. <laughs> now, wait, wait. Now, wait a second here. It was not like more than two weeks ago that you told me, I think, March 15th, the Ides of March. What's I, going I on have here? I my model, Ted. Uh, a good researcher is always feeding it with new information. And so April 28th, <laughs> go ahead and mark your calendars, folks. It's going to go back to uh, life as normal pre-pandemic. All right. I'm going to tell my family to expect all their holiday gifts on April 29th because I'm going to wait till the 28th. There you go. Yeah, that's a good move. That's a good move. All right, Tom, what do we have coming up next? Well, we're going to have a lot more great stuff coming up. Just as we had Wendy Tate here with us uh, this month, we're going to have Marianne Wanamaker with us. And Marianne is a member of our economics faculty here at the Haslam College of Business, but she also serves as the executive director for the Howard H. Baker Jr. Center for Public Policy. So she's going to help us bridge that connection between industry and government when she's with us next month. Yeah. And just to give you a little bit more of a teaser on Marianne, she spent a year up in Washington, D.C. on the President's Economic Council back in 2019. So Marianne's pretty well plugged into what's going on in the economic She's an insider for sure. All right. Well, that's it for today. We appreciate you all being with us. Again, send us your thoughts, your comments, your questions, gsci at utk.edu, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Tennessee on Supply Chain Management. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe via your favorite listening platform, such as iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Leave a reply in our show notes at gsci.podcast.com or email your questions to gsci at utk.edu. Join us next time in our pursuit to prove that supply chain management is more fun than you think. 